Well, hello and welcome to A Photographic Life. Um, it's been hot in the UK, very hot over the last couple of weeks. And we've had all the excitement as well of the uh, World Cup. Um, World Cup's now over. The heat still seems to be with us, certainly in the shed. Uh, the uh, It's quite a, a warm environment today as I uh, record this podcast. Um, quite a quiet time, really, I think, for a lot of photographers as we're getting closer to August, getting closer to the holidays. The commissioning has a tendency to drop off as those who commission wait for new budgets to be um, set, hopefully, and uh, are themselves uh, a way off on holiday. Even those of us who work on personal projects, those who work in academia, this is the chance, I suppose, to um, just kind of unwind, maybe read some books, catch up on some stuff, some exhibitions and so forth. So a quiet, a quiet time. And apart from the the heat, the endless barbecues and the football of the last week, uh, I've been pretty much the same. And I suppose in doing so this week, I thought that um, I just kind of... uh, look back on a a couple of things a couple of uh i suppose you would describe them as uh, experiences that have really stayed with me over the years because both of the stories i'm going to tell today occurred way over oh goodness me well over 20 odd years ago i would say certainly in the mid to late 1990s But they saved with me, and they're two experiences with photographers that I thought I'd share with you. Um, I think photographers are a bit like fishermen. They've always got a a good story about um, maybe the one that got away or the one that they caught. Um, So so here we go. So the first story I wanted to just tell you about, um, both of these occurred when I was an art director for Tatler magazine in London. And in those days, I would commission all of the photography for the magazine. Um, And it was very much up to me who I wanted to work with and how. I was given a lot of freedom from the editor, which was fantastic in those days. And uh, I was given the uh, project, I suppose, that we needed to do six pages of the magazine. And the decision had been made that it was going to be photographs of the supermodel, Elle McPherson, and that she would be um, wearing diamonds. And the the feature was to uh, promote those diamonds. I instantly had the idea, because I'd been waiting for a while uh, to work with the photographer, the French photographer Jean-Luc Sieff, of working with him on the project. And and that's what I would often do. I would have photographers who I was desperate to work with. And as soon as a, a commission came about that I felt I could manipulate towards them um, I would do so so what then happened was what followed from that was me phoning Jean Lipsieff in Paris Uh, he hadn't worked for quite a long time certainly not in the UK um, certainly for 15 or 20 odd years and he came over and he dis- he said to me, as it was his style of work, that he wanted to photograph uh, Elle McPherson naked, wearing nothing but the diamonds. I was slightly concerned about this, but um, knowing his work, I, I would always give photographers free reign to interpret a brief however they wished. 
And so his only stipulation was that he wanted to stay at Brown's Hotel in Mayfair, which was quite an expense, but I managed to get that through. Um, And also that he wanted to go on a milk round. He wanted to go on a milk round um, from whatever time it started, two in the morning, and he wanted to photograph that milk round. Uh, So I arranged that for him as well, and that's exactly what he did. He came over, I met him at the airport, we drove uh, to the hotel together. Uh, He spent the evening there and he got up at one or two o'clock in the morning and he did the milk round and he photographed it as a personal project. It was something he'd always wanted to do and therefore he did it. And he then arrived, he came straight from the milk round to the studio. he had his, uh, I suppose, customary famous grey background, which was a, a simple grey sheet colour armour paper um, set up. He had a trolley with uh, many rolls of Kodak uh, triacs lined up. And he came in with a Nikon camera around his neck that he'd photographed the, um, the milk round with. Uh, L appeared. Uh, as did um, many, many security guards with the diamonds that were being uh, photographed. And he started to load the film into the camera around his neck. And and I'd got very used at that point to working with very big-name photographers who would have one, two, three, or in the case of Herb Ritz, five assistants working with them. And I said to Jean-Luc, you don't have, or question him, you don't have a an assistant working with you on this? And he said, no. He said, how could I possibly have somebody loading my camera that might do it wrong and then what would i say to them if they'd done it wrong i couldn't have that conversation and therefore i loaned i loan my a load my own cameras and that's exactly what he did and he shot that story which is a beautiful um series of abstract very abstract images that appeared in the magazine on that Nikon around his neck with those rolls of film. It couldn't have been simpler. It couldn't have been more basic. There was just one light, and the images were great. What's interesting, I suppose, I mean, there was so much I took from that, that um, importance of simplicity and that importance of that kind of approach. But what was also interesting coming out of that was when the advertising agency who launched the Haagen-Dazs ice cream in the UK back then in the 90s saw those pictures in Tatler, he was immediately commissioned to shoot for that campaign. So out of that very simple setup came a very important and financially large advertising campaign. At a similar time, uh, I had a lot of portraits that had to be uh, commissioned in New York. And I was really looking for a photographer um, who was going to bring a sense of the unexpected. I didn't, I, it was, there was an awful lot of photography, portrait photography in particular, that was very generic. And I wanted to break away from that. And I came across a photographer called Sylvia Placci. Uh, if you don't know her, I highly recommend that you check out her work and her books, of which there are many. Sylvia was Richard Avedon's favourite photographer. Um, she had worked very closely and been a close friend of Andre Cortez. Uh, Sylvia is herself Hungarian, 
and latterly, I suppose, known as being the mother of the actor Adrian Brody. But Sylvia had just had a book out, and she'd been shooting pictures every week for the Village Voice in New York called The Unguided Journey. And she would literally just go for a walk and then submit a picture, and and that would be her unguided journey. And the book, Unguided Journey, had recently come out. I'd seen it, and it had come, this really does date it, with a flexi-disc single of music that was created by Tom Waits, uh, inspired by uh, Sylvia's pictures. And I kind of got that, really, because that whole Tom Waits kind of troubadour thing very much worked with Sylvia's pictures. Anyway, uh, I managed to get a phone number for Sylvia, and I rang her up, and I said, look, I really love your work. I've got these pictures. I think at the time, the first one may or may not have been of the artist Julian Schnabel. And I said, but I've got a problem. My editor wants this image to be in colour and you only shoot in black and white. They're the only pictures I've seen in the book. And she said, well, yeah, I I shoot in colour too, but have you seen the the book, Unguided Journey? And I was like, yeah. And she said, well, have you played the music that Tom did to accompany the pictures? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, didn't you see the colours in the black and white pictures? And I just loved that. I just thought that was great. I just, so I went, you know what? Shoot it. Shoot it however you wish. Um, She shot it in black and white, and she also shot it in colour. And it actually was a colour image that we used as a double-page spread in the magazine. That was the beginning of a friendship that I had with Sylvia, and I still have with Sylvia all these years later. Um, I commissioned her on a number of occasions, um, and she's continued to create incredible work. But just two little stories there, and I'm sure there are many, many other stories that maybe as the the summer gets warmer and the days get quieter, I might um, go back into my mind archive and try and remember a few similar things. But I hope uh, both of those stories have some kind of... Uh, relevance to you and maybe kind of hit home and make you think in the way they did to me about um, the work that I was doing at that time and I suppose really the approach and that approach of Sylvia's and that approach of Jean Loops um, both of whom as I said became very good friends of mine um, they stay with me they stay with me today Talking of great uh, photographers, perhaps one of the most important people in the current photographic um, community, scene, whatever word you wish to use, uh, is in my mind Craig Aitkinson and his work with Cafe Royal Books. The ever-growing resource, archive, library that those books are becoming. It's invaluable. He's introduced me to photographers I didn't know, and he's introduced me to work I didn't know from photographers I knew well. Um, There is no doubt that this body of work, as time goes by, I believe will increase in its importance so if you're not aware of Craig Aitkinson if you're not aware of his one man band which is Cafe Royal Books do check him out Um, so it gives me great pleasure to welcome this week uh, Craig Aitkinson to our uh, 
what does photography mean to you section uh craig is um fantastically downbeat and i hope you really enjoy his contribution this week hi grant it's craig atkinson from cafe royal books um thanks for asking me to do this and to answer your question about what photography means to me this is about my 10th attempt now um and i keep forgetting what i've said because i can't refer back to it it's it's sort of much more difficult than writing um and i'm sure this will cure a few people's insomnia as well so uh yeah Let's let's hope it's of interest to someone. Anyway, so my relationship with photography comes in sort of three strands, I guess. One is the books that I publish through Cafe Royal. Um, they deal with generally British documentary photography, um, and what I try to do is sort of source this material and publish one or two books every week, and then ultimately get the books into private and public collections um, public kind of importantly because it makes them publicly accessible um, and and get the work seen um, but what else is important to me is to get the work seen by people who aren't involved in photography or the photographic society um, and people buy the books or, or look at the books for various reasons whether history, sociology, cultural um, nostalgia or just personal interest and an example of that I suppose is a recent book that I made with Chris Killip on the 1971 Isle of Man TT races um, and quite a lot of bikers have bought the book um, because they're interested in the bikes and the fashion of the bikers at the time and so on so these people might not have any interest whatsoever in photography or photo books um, but it, the, the content of the photographs is what they're interested in um, so that's one part of, of kind of my relationship with photography um, another is that I take pictures as well um, and I'm interested in, I suppose if you want to title um, man, mankind's interaction with the landscape. So I kind of just like wandering, really. I kind of stay quite local um, and I, I walk around the sort of small village or the town that I live in. Um, and I tend to take pictures of fences for the last few years. Um, I don't know why. I mean, I suppose a lot can be read into a fence, but this is a, a very dull section of the podcast. Um, and maybe one day I'll show the, the pictures. But, the, yeah, man's, man's interaction is that kind of fence or small buildings and, and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that really was dull, wasn't it? I don't own a camera, um, and I've not owned a camera for several years now. I use a phone. Um, and some people will have just switched off and some people kind of hate that idea but I'm always interested in sort of form and function and for my purpose of taking pictures and for the size of prints that I'll ever need a phone is ideal um, and, and it kind of, you know, it functions sort of perfectly so that's just a decision that I've made along the way I can't really sort of justify owning a camera and loads of kit um, for the amount that I use it and what I need it for, I suppose. I'm, I'm sort of quite practical like that. Anyway, um, so there's, there's another view, another listener gone, sorry. Um, the third, maybe the most important um, aspect of photography for me is 
the sort of family snapshot. I've got a young, I've got two young sons. Um, and when we all go out on a day out or something, we'll take pictures and we take pictures of the good things, the bad things and the, the kind of big things and Christmases and birthdays and that kind of thing. Um, but you, you remember those things anyway, really. What interests me is taking pictures of just the everyday, the banal kind of shopping trips to the supermarket or the kids waiting in the car if, if I'm getting some petrol or um, when one of them falls off the bike or whatever it might be. Um, and, and I think they're the things that I would forget quite quickly if there wasn't a photograph. So I suppose the kind of commonality between that and the, the work of other people that I publish is that the photograph is being taken to record something. And I, I imagine most of the time when people do that, they're considering the viewer, whether it's in a day, a week, a year or a decade's time. Um, so in this case, I suppose the viewer will be me and the family. Um, but it's it's there to preserve a memory that might otherwise be forgotten. And I think that's the, that's the key thing for photography. It sounds sort of very obvious, but I, I think for me that's what it is. Um, just recording life, basically. Um, and the, the kind of instant of the photograph as well, it's fast. You know, it doesn't have to be a very slow thing. It can be kind of just the immediate, <clears throat> the, the split second that the event happens. And something more general than that, I suppose, that, that is kind of key is the universality of, of um, the photographic image. The fact that you could give a picture to anybody in the world and they could make an attempt to understand it almost straight away without having to learn the language of photography, if there is one, um, beforehand. So it's not really like the written language where you would have to make an attempt to learn the language before understanding or being able to read it. It's a bit more universal and immediate than that. So again, that the function of photography is kind of important. Um, yeah, so I didn't breathe much during that five minutes. So I think that's kind of it. Um, I hope that answers your question. I hope you've not lost any subscribers. And um, thanks again for asking me. Cheers, Grant. Thanks, Craig. And thanks to everybody uh, for listening. Thank you for sharing this podcast, sharing it through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, however you're doing that. As always, if you want to follow up more information about um, the discussion, in the podcast and the people involved in the podcast go to the united nations of photography.com website where you'll find a list of links and uh, information uh, if you want to keep in touch with us then do so via twitter at un of photo that just leaves me to say thanks very much once again for listening and uh, catch up with you next week <laughs>